So now I realize as a Christian, we build on the fundamentals that you will never be what Christ wants you to be if you're missing the, the important pieces that make up the foundation of your Christian faith. That's what this class is about. We talk about the fundamentals of the faith. Um, MacArthur wrote this, and we talked about the site of gty.org forward slash FOF. All the lessons are there, and that's the handout is actually made for that. So the first three or four pages there would be my notes that I will give you tonight. I wanted time to stop and repeat some of the things that we're going to talk about, but um, there, most of those are right here on this page. And then your lesson for the FOF class is in the back that you can get online and listen to the, uh, you know, the sermon there. And he, it's a fill in the blank. You got all the answers are there as well. You need to take advantage as much as you can to develop the foundation. So I got one 50, 45 minutes or so to uh, talk about ecclesiology, which is the, the theological word for the church and it's uh, worship and fellowship. What's it, what's this about? And make that applicable to TBC and our faith here as we're working together. So I want to make a couple great points on the church, and then I want to end with some practical things on how to be a good member and be a good listener. So um, first thing I want you to do in our my introduction is go to um, Ephesians, the um, fifth chapter. Fifth chapter of Ephesians, that's Go Eat Popcorn. That's the second of those little bitty books, maybe. Five. So start with me right there with, um, in verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. I'm on Ephesians 5, 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Again, there's a relationship to the church. In fact, I want to say this to you as a caveat. The last two verses of every chapter really have something to do with the church. The book has something to do with the church, the body of Christ. You can find everything that has to do with ecclesiology in the book of Ephesians uh, from Paul's writings. But he's making a point here about marriage and that sacred covenant between a husband and a wife and we know that we're kind of, we make it sort of a holy thing together, but there's a, there is a supernatural work in that, and I'll explain that in a minute. But he says, so no one hates his own flesh, but nurses it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we're members of leadership, male leadership in the, in the role of a husband, and Christ does the church for us as a male leadership for the church, because we are members of his body. This is the point. Therefore, here's the transition. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 is the key. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying this, that it refers to Christ in the church. And he goes on to talk about let each one love his wife as himself. I think here's the key. There's something mystical as it's mysterious as it's supernatural and the covenant are the workings between the intimacy of Christ himself and the church. Now we don't know all the integral parts of that. though. I say this is the mystery of Christ in the church, just like we don't know what the covenant marriage looks like where two people, you know, deny themselves and come together, to become one flesh. That's a great concept. We learned that theologically, but in real time, 
um, we don't always grasp how important that is to Christ. So the whole function of Christ's intervention with us and how he works through us and in us is um, really primarily the, a, a supernatural work that we need to unpack. It's so important that he called the church. The church as a sacred place. We're going to talk about that, okay? I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, but let's let's just pray together, can we? Father, as we unpack this today and we talk a bit about this, we have, we're short on time, but we need more um, understanding. So grace us with that ability to understand when we leave here the importance of the church, of the body of Christ. Not just collectively or corporately, or universally, but understanding why we are here and how we function um, in this place that you have uh, ordained for us, each one of us. We love you. We're thankful for the grace that you've given up to this point, and I pray for your grace and mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. So we make a point here that, that we're going to talk about the church and how sacred is the God, and it's even a mystery of his intimacy as his intimacy is just on display. I want you to take your hand out, and there's a blank side on the back. I want you to take that hand out, turn it over with that blank spot, and on the first line, right above here somewhere, I want you to put the word spoken. I want you to put the word spoken across here. You can make it, you know, 10 font, 15 font, 20 font. You can make it somewhere you can see it. Spoken. Just write the word spoken. Okay. Now down here, a good ways down, I want you to put the word function. Function. You got spoken, function. Now this is a good connection. Uh, pastors use this illustration many, many times. And it shows you the room we need to grow here. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, from spoken, from function to spoken, I want you to draw a line that touches from that one up to this one. Okay? Now, behind the word spoken, I want you to write the word theology. Theology. And on the, on the bottom function, I want you to put theology. So you should have spoken theology, function theology or functional theology. Okay? Okay, here's what we're talking about. And this is why it's so important. I'm going to give you one more word to put on here to make sense. Just an, an introduction as we get ready to jump into this thing on the ecclesiology, you have to understand that we all say we know what it means to belong to the body of Christ. We say we all say we count it as sacred. We all have a biblical verse that we can quote or that we understand or that we brought up. We all sort of have a, um, uh, we're kind of habituated to our, our religiosity, which is our, our way we support our religion. We all have a way we come to church. Some of you guys are very, very faithful. We've been doing this for a very, very long time. How many people have been going to church for at least 50 years? Wow, okay. No reason for me to go into that because most of you are not 50. But you see what I'm saying? We've been for our whole life, haven't we? I mean, a lot of us, we've been going to church. So we understand the importance of attending church, supporting the church. We understand what the church means. We have what we call a spoken theology about the church. But here's what's happening. When we see some of the things that are important, we're going to talk through the structure here. 
we have that importance of that, but we don't understand the functional theology. So what I mean by that is we're functioning much less, much lower than we speak about the church. We have a spoken and what I call conceptual view of the church, and then we have a functional view of the church. So in other words, people, now not in this room, but in, in mostly in, the, in Tim's room and the prophets, most of the sinners are over there, so... Uh, they have a they have a really high low functional theology. They should have come to this class. I wouldn't. They wouldn't have to be able to listen to that. But seriously, though, we have a functional problem in our theology. In general, we know we have to live a holy life. We know that we're supposed to be pleasing the Lord. We know that the true love of God means that we obey His commandments. We know these things. But when we go out to function and how we live outside the view of the church and outside the view of our friends, we live in our home, uh, we function at a much different and lower level. Now, that's, that's disturbing for all of us. But, um, but we call this dynamic, um, everyday land is when you're in your home, and Bible world is when you're at church. So we go to Bible world like we go to Disneyland, right? But we go to Bible world, but when we go home, we're in everyday land. Yeah, but that, that's Bible, but here's, here's real life. And we sort of disconnect those two. So the line I want you to put, I want you to put a word right in the middle of that line on the same side over here. I want you to write this word, integrity, integrity gap. Integrity gap. Integrity gap. So the integrity gap is whatever the distance is. Now, for some of you, it's just about this much the difference. Some of it's very close. You're, you live according to the way you, you, what you speak, what you believe. You go home and you're functioning that way. Your holy living is matches your perspective of you're always confessing and repenting, and you're you're in relationship to Christ, and you're working through these things, and we're putting off and putting on like we normally would do in our life. Others we sort of struggle with more and more carnality, and our integrity gap is wider and wider. And so my goal today is to kind of help you close the gap. I at least want you to understand the importance of the local church. Not in a way that it becomes legalistic, where we're trying to uh, get more out of you or trying to manipulate you, but you need to understand who you are and how this functions in the church. I'm going to show you in a few of these uh, slides here. So we start off by saying, what is the relationship between Christ and his church? And we're going to, I'm going to solve this. We're going to talk it through. But first, we have to ask this question, what's the difference between universal church and the local church? This is where you talk. What's the difference? Anybody but Jim? He got the book. What's the difference between a universal church and a local church? Just in general. Yeah. General unification as Christians and then local would be like fellowship and community with one another. Okay. You're in the right territory. You're in the right territory. That's a good way of saying you're wrong, but that's not true. I, I think you're in the right territory. The universal church actually exists, and the local church actually exists. You hear that? So, are you not from Lynchburg? Me? Yeah. No, I'm from, uh, well, I go to Liberty. I go, um, I'm from Erickson. Okay, so whatever concept you have of the church, you have to understand there is a, a, a larger universal church, uh, which would include um, Ashton's wife, who's in heaven. So it's the, those who are dead and already in, in heaven. I've got people in 
China, the lady in China and her family, those believers over there. It's the bigger picture of the universal church is all of God's people. It would be that Revelation 7, 9, and many of them from every nation, tribe, and met together and singing psalms. Yeah, those, those are the people. The, the, the entire body of Christ universally. And so there is a bigger universal church. Now, I'm going to connect the dots here in a second. The local church is actually where we function and live out that Christianity locally. So there's always a disconnect. I know some people, including one of my older sons, who professing Christ, he professes, he's a professing Christian, but he doesn't believe in the local church. He, just, he does church online, he does church wherever he wants to, and he, but to go into a church is not really, ah, it's not my thing. Well, it's not your thing, but it's God's thing. <laughs> and so, I mean, he and I, we kind of bump heads about that. Because there has to be a way for you to live out your faith. Can you imagine why a person would, would favor local, uh, universal church over local church? Can you think of some reasons? Less accountability. Less accountability. Amen. Yep, what else? Pride. Pride, amen. Very fundamental, yeah. Other reasons why people would favor universal church versus local church. Accountability was excellent. Pride, yes, absolutely. What else? Or what, what's missing? Yeah, they don't have to serve. So you notice like 13 to 16 serving one another, so the one another's in the Bible. That is not a reality for someone who has a concept of a, of a spiritual or supernatural church somewhere. It, the only, only, reality, only reality of this thing is, is when you know, we're actually face-to-face serving others. We can't, how can you use your gifts on yourself? So we, there's no place to use your gifts. There's no place to serve others. How do you give? You just give the universal church when you just like you're going to name something and claim something and then send your, your tithe and offering to some TV preacher you don't really know or doesn't really care about you, but you're trying to, how are you going to give and serve and how are you going to love one another? And, and how do you set up a place where you forgive? Because remember, Christianity is a, is a, is a function of, kind of a teeter-totter intention between repentance, we're always repenting, and forgiveness, we're always forgiving. Now, how do we, how do we work through those issues rather than, and other than in our mind if we don't have the right view of the local church? See, Christ knew that. You know, all throughout the New Testament, those were legitimate churches, actually. There wasn't a concept of churches. There were literal churches. And I realized we didn't have the Internet then. That's what my son would say. But there's no way to work out your salvation in trembling and fear if you didn't have a chance to serve one another. That Romans 12 would be just uh, benign uh, as far as working out in your life. You wouldn't have anybody to forgive or to work through, to love, forgive. And so, therefore, the face-to-face differences are huge. But they both exist. It's just some churches don't believe in the local church. Some don't teach about the local church, the power of the local church. It's convenient for them. They manipulate people to come. They're trying to get a great crowd. But at the same time, we're gathering, God's people gather in the local church. So we don't do all of our evangelism in the local church, but we do all of our teaching and equipping in the local church. That's what it is. We're supposed to equip the saints for ministry. We're going to get in more of that. Universal church is all believers, dead or alive. The local church is a smaller group of believers that come together to worship, fellowship, receive the teaching, and evangelize the local community. We do that together collectively. There's more about your salvation noted in here 
corporately than it does privately. So when people, they, they, they push this idea that this personal, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're saved into a fellowship. There's a, there is a corporate connection to our salvation. It's not individualized. Some have this, some don't. And, well, just you, just between you and Jesus, no, it isn't. It's always, we always work out all of our salvation, all of our walk with Christ with one another, with Christ in mind. Just confess your sin one to another. We're working together. We're supporting each other one another. You know, it's always the local church that, we're, that our faith has worked out. So you can tell this. I, I was helping a guy one time in, in Calvary when I was teaching there, and a guy said, I said, so what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I'm a professional hockey player. I said, wow, awesome. So what team you play for? He goes, oh, I don't have a team. But, you know, I was drafted, and, you know, so I'm just waiting for a team to pick me up. I said, well, then you're not really a hockey player if you're not playing hockey. He goes, what? I said, well, yeah. I said, you're, you're not checking anybody. You're not, you're not going. You're not traveling. You're not, you don't even have a paycheck. He's like, no. I said, well, you should stop calling yourself a hockey player. That could be your hobby. He's like, wow, who are you? I mean, he was like starting to get a little indignant. I said, well, let me tell you why. And I, I switched the gear because I'm here. I'm counseling them, and I'm switching gears on them. I said, so you see why it's so important for you to belong to the church? Because people call themselves Christians, and they don't even fellowship in the local body. It's the same thing as being a hockey player and not having a hockey team. You are known by your service to one another. We are, Jesus even sent them out two by two. You know, Paul collected them and said they even developed the elders in the church. They're affirming everything we do, we do for one another. That's how we do that. So local church is critical, and I want to make sure I get that. So we're the body of Christ. You see all the scriptures listed there. The church is seen as a family of God. You can see that. And not just we're just the, called the body of Christ. It's important because what does the body of Christ mean? I mean, this is pretty sacred. I can remember when we were first saved, we are just reconciling our marriage. This is a long time ago. But I can remember when I was, well, we were both kind of harsh, but I was more harsh than her of being a former policeman. And we were like, He's like, you know, you're, you're verbally beating up on, on Christ's child. I said, what? I mean, I never heard the concept before. He's like, yeah. My counselor said, you were, you were beating up on her. She's, she's the daughter of Jesus Christ who could stop your breath in a minute. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah this, she, he saved her. Do you think she saved us? Oh, yeah, she's way different. He goes, that's the child of the king. You be careful what you do. You have reverence and you have good taste in this because if they're professing the, uh, a Christ and his and they're, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ, this is sacred territory. You have to be careful, very careful. I mean, it's it struck fear in my heart. I needed that at that time. You know, I realize there's a balance to that, but he's right. Theologically, he's right. And so we're seen as a family. How can you have a family when you're a Lone Ranger? You're not born into individualism. Yes, sir. Say that Jesus in the mountain too, like when he was speaking to the apostles, yes. apostles, um, as he gave authority to um, over impure spirits. So my question to you is that we are not, apo- <clears throat> we're not apostles. Yeah. So would that apply to us. Yeah, I mean they, they they sent other people out two by two as well. The church does. The church sends people. People are always sent in the mission of Christ. Like missionaries are sent. See, nobody just immediately, as soon as they're born again, they're, fly, they're just floundering around on their own. They're not going out doing the work of God all by themselves. 
there's a, there's a, there's a support, there's prayer, there's lots of things together. So even in Jesus followers, we're not apostles, but even those apostles were gathered. I mean, there was a gathering of them. They were one, they were gathered together doing the work of Christ together. They weren't out there fragmented all over the place and not even knowing each other and just have a concept of this. There is always an idea of the gathering of the saints. So we're working as a corporate church. Let me tell you why, because Ephesians 4, if you look over Ephesians here, we need one another. It says sometimes you're a hand, sometimes you're an arm, sometimes you're a head. Remember that passage? And so the thing is, heads don't function by themselves. Hands can't live by themselves. I've found plenty of them as policemen in car accidents. All right? Hands and arms just don't work by themselves. All right, so that you have, we, all, we, we, we work together because the body needs every part. That's the purpose, isn't it? We see that in Hebrews, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 as well. And I'm going to talk about gifts next, next time we meet. So you have to understand how the corporate part of the body of Christ works together. When he sees the bride in, in Revelation, he's seeing a tapestry of all nations and tribes and people. He's not seeing one person here, one person over there, one more spiritual person there. It's a tapestry of people who are giving him glory. That's collectively his, his bride that he embraces and gives the inheritance to. This is, this is huge. It's bigger than we know because even how he does this and why he does this is a mystery. It's a good question. So there's important dynamics of the church as well. There's always teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Those are the main things that happen in the church. And we'll talk about some structure here. Um. Let me just back up and say this. This is the very part of the church that's probably pretty good. I'll just make another note of that. You get in a church, a lot of churches go, there's a lot of inspiration, but there's no information. Nobody's teaching the Bible. A friend of mine, I, we had a chance to lead to Christ and counseling, and he started coming to our church. And he came from a pretty liberal church, and when he came, he was like, <clears throat> he was, I said, so I started telling him, this is Sunday school hour, is where we go. And the new people are going over here as foundations class, and we're going over here. And so I was teaching, and I could see the window over there, and he was walking back and forth. And I said, just a minute, you guys, look up that passage from me, run out in the hallway. And I said, Tom, what are you doing? He said, I'm just looking for a class. I said, they're all over. He goes, I know, every class I go into, it's all about the Bible. He said, everywhere I go, it's teaching the Bible. I said, Tom. We need the Bible. It's right, that's what it's for. Teach us the Bible because we don't know what to believe without the Word. We don't know who to trust without the, without the Word of God. We don't know what to do without the Word of God. We don't know how we have to love one another or what, we, what God expects us to do without the Bible. And so now today, he's like a big Bible guy. He's teaching. That was some 15 years ago. <laughs> and the dude, is, he's, he's memorized the whole book of Ephesians. I mean, he's obsessed with it. He's got his family. I mean, he's not on target. But I remember him pacing around because his religious affiliation before it excluded the Bible. Teaching is critical. You've got to have teaching. Fellowship. Fellowship is the word koinia. They, we work with one another. It says in Acts 2 that they gave everything they had. And they all brought it together. And everybody who was in need, and they gave from that. You remember that Acts 2, verse 42 through 47? It talks about the dynamics there of what they were doing in the church that all came together. What if they were universalists? We're all out of there everywhere. We, we can't do that. We can't do that for one another. I always tell my sons, I have six boys, and I always told them the same thing. When you leave, you don't go to a job because you get a job. You go, you go and find a church first. 
Find out where your church is. Because if you find your church, they're going to help you find the, the way into buying a house, find, find the right people are going to help you. You, you. you trust your church. I remember when I pulled up here in my um, U-Haul. Poor Clay Mackey was, a, was a, a pastor's assistant back then. And I thought, this kid can't even weigh 100 pounds. And he's unloading my, my camper. Like I mean, I was like, Clay? He's like, no, I, I got it. And he had a couple guys showed up. But the church is where we trust. The church is how we work through it. And there's fellowship one for another. That's what we do. It's not all about the music. And it's not all about our fellowship. But it's a, it's a combination of teaching, fellowship, and communion. When he talked about, say, broke bread together. This is a sacred moment. I get really upset when my sons don't understand the sacredness and the importance of breaking bread. This is what God, it's an imperative, it's, it's a command for us to meet together and break bread. Now, you know you don't understand all of it, and it's, a, it's, a rec, it's kind of resurrecting the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's the gospel in your face every minute. There's a lot of work being done. A lot of work gets done by supernatural work. And then there's prayer. There's never enough prayer. We don't pray enough. Church doesn't pray enough. Prayer is, is huge. But that's how the church functions. And a prayer, it doesn't make sense to anybody. You're praying to somebody you can't see. Prayer is the hardest work you'll ever do. And prayer is part of the communion and the community of the local body. Half the things you go through, you will never get out on the other side safely without the church praying for you. Am I right or wrong, Rick? Yes, sir, you're right. Okay, just remember that. Now, how do you do that if you're all by yourself out here like my son? He's like, well, I watch on TV. Uh, Joel, will you pray for me? He isn't answering. And try to email him. Yeah, good luck with that. I'm just saying, you got to be careful. This is how the church functions. These are the most important things you can do to be in connection with Jesus Christ. <coughs> the structure of the early church, some responsibilities. We have, we had, here's some errors. We had apostles. Uh, they were sent out on a mission to build the church. We don't have apostles today because they see. We find out from 1 Corinthians about that. But they, had, they used them back then because they set up the church. They were important to that. They, they were directly chosen by God himself. Look at Mark 3.13. They were chosen by God. So when people say, wow, God chose me, that was sort of nebulous. What do you mean God chose you? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, a feeling, an unction. You know, people are always self-directing. But also they had prophets. That was the way it was set up too because they had foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling was communicating future events. Foretelling was modern prophets foretelling special revelation. Tell me if you understand or don't understand the difference between foretelling and foretelling. I want to get that solved right now. It's important. Because anything you read on the internet and anything you're going to see on TV, most of these high potent TV preachers have it messed up. I did have a lady in the church come up to me not long ago. I guess it was about three or four years ago. And I was helping, I think it was helping her daughter go through a pretty nasty relationship breakup. And, and <laughs> so she was the only professing Christian, and I had a lot of expectations for her. So you and I need to work together if we're going to win him for Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. We need to represent Christ here. The gospel needs to be the number one thing. Well, I guess she felt a lot of pressure, so she, her mom came up to me in the service and said, God gave me a message for you. Okay, so, you know, for me, it was like, whoa. I said, I mean, I'm very interested in that. So she said, he, God said you're too hard on my daughter. I said, wow. I said, you know, it really concerns me. She said, why? I said, 
I'm not concerned that God didn't tell you. I'm just concerned that he didn't tell me. I mean, I love the Lord and I confess my sin every day and night. And I thought I was in union with Christ. And now all of a sudden he won't even talk to me. He has to use you. Because I don't understand this. And she's like, she couldn't explain it. And she turned around and walked away. This happens all the time because people are still trying to foretell. Foretell means to tell the future. It means that revelation is continuing. We believe in plain air inspiration of scripture. It means there were 66 books, some 38,900, some scriptures, over 40, 1,600 years by 43 different persons. This glob of information that the canon of scripture was developed for us is closed. It's called special revelation. Any kind of good theology in this world, doesn't matter denomination, believes in plenary inspiration. It means that God is not given more special revelation. He's not given more downloads. You say, well, you need to buy a blue car, pink car. You need to go over here. You need to get a suit. You need to go over there. And I was just driving by. One lady told me at my church, my church plant in St. Louis, she came in with all of her family. And I said, well, welcome. I said, this is a, this is a new church. She said, yeah, I know. She said, but when I was driving by here, the, the Lord said, go to this church. I said, wow, that's pretty powerful that he had time to tell you to go to my church. Even though he knows who I am, that's wonderful, you know. So she came in. Everything was going good until I started preaching the word. And then all of a sudden they did missing. I called her, called her, called her. Finally had to go up and visit her. And I said, hey, I'm really missing you, Anna. I don't know what's going on. She said, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to another church. I said, wait a minute. I said, you don't want to disobey God. God told you to come to my church. Or did he? And she says, well, I thought he did. Well, it's pretty risky, isn't it? So let me sit there and talk to you about how you hear from God. You got a couple minutes? And, it, you know, of course, it didn't turn out that good. But, but we foretell, which means we're, we're sharing the gospel. We're sharing the word of God. Already the prophecies that are in Scripture, already the things that are happening, we're sharing things with others that already are in the Scripture. That's foretelling. We're foretelling. There's no foretelling anymore. You can get that at Pentecostalism. You can get because they they activate any gifts they want. They don't have a lot of biblical basis for that. Once a God used it in the church, they still well, it's continued on in my life. I don't know, but you can see that you can take good theology with good trained theologians who know the the languages, and you'll find out that what God meant by what He said is not. We don't work against that, and it's never to continue with these gifts once the church was organized. So the New Testament office of of a prophet was closed and foretelling is the method of today. Here's another one, evangelist. Office is gifted presenter of the gospel and some people are are gifted evangelists. Okay? But all Christians are supposed to share the gospel. But some people have a propensity and a passion, understanding to share the gospel everywhere they go. We know people in this church that are just obsessed with the gospel. I mean, they love the gospel. Everything they do is the gospel. And, um, and so some people are evangelists. That's the office of being evangelist is fine. Uh, but again, everybody's supposed to evangelize. That's a little bit different than having that particular gift. And there's, uh, when you think about this, I say, how comfortable are you in evangelizing people? For, for fundamentals reasons, that's one of the things you have to do. You have to master the gospel. No matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter how many years you got, you should ask yourself, how comfortable am I to open my mouth and tell people accurately the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What about the gospel collectively? 
that God is a holy God, and man has fallen, and God tried to, man tried to keep the law, and he failed, and eventually grace brought us Jesus Christ, and what happened there, and his reconciliation to his people. I mean, you have to be careful what the real gospel is. You should be really targeted on that, um, and that'd be helpful in your fundamentals. And then there's pastors, teachers. Anyone who shepherds and cares from the prophet, uh, some of these titles are bishops, elders, overseers, but pastor and teachers are a part of the structure of the church, just like um, deacons. Uh, deacons right here, the office of elder overseer. Uh, here's the office of deacons. So we've got deacons, we got pastors. We have evangelists, and we, we now we have in the church members. So you have members, deacons, pastors, evangelists. There's not a million different people can't be self-proclaimed prophets. This is how the structure of the biblical New Testament church is organized. That's what it is. Um, I didn't I didn't hand this out to you, but you should sometime read the TBC covenant commitment as a member of the church. Is that they were committing to one another this. The minute you come, we caring for you. The minute you come. You know, you're in our prayers. And when we help you with your children, you help us with our children. We, we help you in your process, your pain and agony, and they help us in pain and agony. We, I couldn't live without the church. In fact, I guess since 1990, I guess 93 was my first assignment. And I've always lived in a midst of church a whole time. I mean, I used to go to church. I mean, I lived for the church. I realized by 96... They called me to be a pastor, and I didn't ask for it. I didn't make an application about it, but I realized it fit to where I was at. It was a, we need somebody devoted to, to live and die for the church. So is that you? I said, I think so, you know. And then I was ordained later on, but the point is, is that we have to have a different view and concept of the church of Jesus Christ and know how it's structured. So true fellowship is about the one another's in the Bible, Relationships are the glue that, to a loving relationship with one another in the church. Um, be careful with fellowships outside the faith. Why? Uh, because 1 Corinthians 15.33, who wants to look that up quickly? First Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad That's right. So there's a two-way street for evangelism. Bad association spoils useful habits or bad association spoils moral character. And so we're careful with having really strong relationships that we're not evangelizing. I realize that there's a, an element of those things we have to have in our job. I remember as a, as a Christian policeman, I had a partner who wasn't a, a Christian, and so there was always an evangelistic opportunities without shoving it down their throat so he didn't think he had a Jehovah's Witness in the car, you know, that you can't shake, you know how that is. Insurance men and Jehovah's Witnesses are the two worst people to be locked in an elevator with. Okay. So being a healthy church member, here's some, here's some principles I want you to learn. Be a good expositional listener. What's that mean? Um, you have to know what expositional preaching is. First, it's, it's a preaching that takes the main point of the sermon from that particular message. Whatever you extract from the sermon is the major point. To be a good listener expositionally is to look for the data that Brian is uncovering, extracting, exegeting, pulling from the scripture. What are these truths that come to surface? Because those are the things God breathed. That's what truth is. 
instead of just picking a topic randomly and trying to find scriptures to match it, we're expositional, which means we're taking everything in the Bible is good for us. Entire scripture is having the entire word of God as part of the healthy plan of God. And his timing is all providential as well. So he brings this out and you say, oh, I don't know about that. I've already studied, you know, Romans 6. All of a sudden, boom, he's, somebody hits your heart. So we have to understand what that means. Here's some don'ts and do's, two of them. We don't listen for how-to advice. That's not a good message, how-to advice. Uh, scripture provides that organically. We don't listen to messages that bolster self-esteem, you know, or pique our interests in political or social issues. We don't waste our time with that. We let the Scripture dictate what the point of the message is. That's what expositional preaching is. And it becomes addicting once you get into it. You see why. All of a sudden you start growing the table, the water table of your heart, which is the theology that you believe that's so, you know, solid and rock solid in your life, ends up helping you make decision and discerning things that you need to see in your life. It's because it's, a, it's an infiltrating and saturating your heart with truth. So expositionally, we don't look for things that are going to boost our self-esteem. That's temporary. Or they're going to give us a political issue and social issues they're going to talk about, which are temporary at most, right? The next politicians come along, whether it could be right or left, is going to be messing things up again. We, we just don't want to talk about some of these things that are not going to be eternally driven by the Scripture. What we should do is listen for the voice of God through Scripture. If you're still trying to hear that small voice in your head, you're missing the scripture. John 14, 26 and 7 reminds us that the Holy Spirit's there to remind us everything that he, Jesus Christ, said. We remember that Colossians 3, 16 says that the word, we're filled with the word of God. It also talks about Ephesians 5, 18, that the word of God, the spirit of God is also, we're being filled with the spirit of God. So they're one and the same. You hear the voice of God when you open the Bible. That's the safest way. Here's what I would say. I would say that if you're hearing more voices than you hear the scripture, then you're, you're likely to be deceived because you're going to be listening to the flesh or you're going to listen to the devil. So you got, one out of, you got two out of three chances to be deceived. When I open the Bible and God wants to speak to me through the scripture, I'm, I'm assured that I'm going to hear the truth. In fact, Jerry Bridges, a great theologian that died a few years ago, said, Stop listening to yourself because you can't trust that you'll tell yourself the truth. So stay in the word. That was his famous quote. Stop listening to yourself because you can't trust that you are going to tell yourself the truth. Your perspective of how you're doing is much different than what's really going on. So stay in the word. We should listen for the meaning of the main idea. Make the Bible the central focus. We should know that there are many benefits in expositional Listening, can you name some? Uh, do some work on the preaching chapter on the, before the Sunday school if you want. Like, you know he's going to preach on Romans 6, so you should be reading Romans 6 ahead. You should look at some commentaries and some books and look. Just do a little work on it. Read it. Take some notes yourself. Try to diagram it yourself. Get in preparation for when he unpacks it. You'll be, that's a good expositional listener. Pay dirt. Pay dirt. I want to get this one principle. So anything that impacts you for change, I call pay dirt. Pay dirt is a term that we use from gold digging from way back. They would come and chip and knock rocks and 
move dirt and sand and wheel it out and take the, the buggy would roll it out or the train would roll it out. And they'd move soil, like a, a, almost this whole room of soil, and find two little nuggets of gold. So I use that spiritually saying that, you know, you've got to move a lot of Scripture. You've got to read a lot of Scripture. You've got to listen to a lot of Scripture. You've got to meditate on a lot of Scripture. And something's going to impact your heart. The Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God in the child of God to produce the will of God. What's the will of God? You're changing the likeness of Christ. It's called sanctification. But it's all for the glory of God. And so when you're hearing that, whatever's making a difference, write it down. I always tell my counselees to write down the things that, that attacked you, offended you, that helped you, that convicted you. Write them down. That's pay dirt. When you leave a service, you should say to yourself, what was pay dirt? I'm, I'm with my family. I got my extended family. I meet with them for lunch. And then we talk about it a little bit. And I say, well, does anybody got any pay dirt? Because that's really neat. So, yeah, I realized when they said this, this is what came to mind, you know, about this. And I wrote this down. And I wrote three things today down from that message as well. And I, I just need to have discussion about it. What is the pay dirt when you hear the Bible or read the Bible? Otherwise, it gets caught up in the, all the slush, and you end up moving soil out every day thinking that's the most religious thing you can do. It's just read the Bible, stay under the Word of God, you know, hear the pastor preaching, and yet you can't, you can't say what a single thing meant out of any service. You have to write every word down, every point down, but you need to write pay dirt down. It's important. So you need to grow as a theologian. How is that? Every Christian is meant to be a good theologian. Know what you believe. Know what you believe. Your life will be better. Your personal holiness, your marriage, your parenting, everything will be better as you grow as a theologian. Because when, whatever you believe about God will help you interpret life and things that happen to you. You'll never interpret the crisis and the challenges and the trials of life perfectly unless you know exactly where you're at with the Lord and what he's doing, so you can interpret those crises with the word of God. You need to be a good theologian. Everybody does. So you grow to know God better. You grow to know not just more information. We're information junkies, so we think we need more information is better. I said to know God is better. Everything you're subject to is so God can show you who he really is. Think in advance before choosing a particular equipping class. Maybe even maybe next time, try the systematic theology. You say, oh, I thought that's just for theologians. It is. You're, you're a theologian. I'm going to talk about Christology tonight. You need to know all these things. It's not just for seminary. That's why we're offering, because we want people to be aware of what they should believe about things in the Bible. Otherwise, you're fooled for the latest things and gadgets and, and theologies in the world, or... You're stuck wherever your other pastor who wasn't trained, whoever that may be, and you maybe are, are out of sync to where God is really taking you. You have to be careful. You need, you need to be a good theologian. Practice biblical theology helps you grow our reverence for God. The more biblical theology you have, the more reverence for God you'll develop. Learning is, more, is important when it contributes to our obedience too. So be in sync to where God is in that. Here's another one, practicing biblical theology. Help us overcome wrong ideas and wrong doctrines, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. We have to be careful that we're practicing theology too. It's not just to learn something, but how is that going to help you obey the Lord? Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, Hebrews 5, 8. 
if you remember that. Practice biblical theology helps us become gospel-centered Christians. The gospel should drive you. It's the, it's the denominator of your equation. The numerator is the, it's, it's flexible, but, to, but the denominator has the power. The gospel should be driving your passion for Christ. Um, read and study good books, too. Don't get caught up in good, have a good t- church and good teaching. And the next time you pick up a book that's by some other guy, I just helped them family, and they had a book on repentance by some mystic. I'm saying, no wonder you're confused. Because it's some nebulous thing that you just put on. It's not something you actually do. And, uh, and I was like, wow. And how did you get on that? Well, the guy, you know, he, he had some pretty good credentials. Well, compared to what? I mean, his theology was pretty bad. Be careful. You can always call the office and ask. Somebody will help you. Um, be a gospel-saturated member. Know the gospel. Listen to the gospel. Live out the gospel. Share the gospel. Okay? Uh, get conversion right. Radical change in life. In theology, uh, Christian theology is called conversion. Conversion is the turning part. Turning. It's not just saying a prayer, walking the aisle. Conversion requires self-examination. Conversion means something like the old is gone, the new has come forth. Not perfectly. But when you crash and burn, you're, you're confessing that. I can remember that a lot when I was a policeman. I mean, we were violent. It was violence all the time, and I was just starting to live on the violence. And I can remember when I, after I was saved for a while, I went to the pastor. I said, man, God is doing something in my life because I'm only fighting like three times a week. I mean, I'm, I'm only getting in a fight three times a week. And he's like, you need to go to the church and tell him that. Well, that was the wrong thing to do because some of the older ladies in the church had a hard problem with that. They're like, he's that violent? He's beating up three people a week. You know, I was like mad, but I was doing six a week. And this is, isn't this a good thing, you know? And, uh, and so people didn't understand that there's a, there's sanctification is a growing process, you know? Uh, so how would you know that? I mean, well, if I'm beating up people and I don't care, then my conversion is not real. If I'm really to turn my back on God, my conversion is not real. My was broken over my sin. And so sometimes it takes a while, but we have to understand what real true conversion really is. Is there fruit? Is it different than your perspective and sincerity? should be fruit. Fruit is love of God, love of his word, love for other Christians. And we persevere in times of difficulty. We don't give up. All the times I should have given up, I didn't give up. Our affection should be changing as well. Conversion is humbling following Jesus Christ in a teachable, disciplined life. We have need to know the, the church is a place where we get into one another and we, we're helping each other. And I remember the church helping me. Mark, this is what this means. You don't understand regeneration. I can see it in your life, but you don't understand. Well, teach me. One for the local church. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. You won't make it without the local church. It's God sent for you and you're ordained to be here because we need you. We don't just need Pastor Brian, we need you because God has sent you. Questions, thoughts, and comments? I know it was a lot of material, but I hope you understand the church. There's a lot more material. I can give you a book on church membership, why it's important, church uh, working in the body of Christ, why it's important. You're in a biblical church, not because I'm saying it, because I wouldn't settle for being here if I wasn't. And, um, and it's a healthy church. You know, we're, we're not perfect church, and we're glad because we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't fit, would we? So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for all our elders and what they teach us as well. 
So good. Let's uh, next week is Easter. I call it Resurrection Sunday. And then a week after, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And I have a treat for you. I even showed our Old Testament theologian um, how my professor showed me about how speaking in tongues, how to understand that. And he was like, wow, I've never seen that before. Of course you didn't. Back, we had, to, we had used pencils, and we actually wrote stuff out back in those days. You know, it was just harassing them. But anyway, I'll, I'll show you guys that next time we meet together. That's in two weeks. So, yes, sir. So, just uh, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Your Old Testament professor was teaching you how to interpret speaking in tongues. Yep, yep. And isn't, I know, I know it probably isn't happening anymore because John MacArthur said it, but speaking in tongues, it does not have, sorry, interpreting, interpreting tongues does not happen anymore. It ceased, right? Yeah, but I'm, I'm teaching how, I'm saying, I'm going to teach you how to interpret the scripture so you can see how valid tongues really is. And you don't realize, but there is a valid tongue. Okay, because it's glossa is the Greek word for that. So I'm going to teach you about the whole difference of that, which changed my whole life and perspective on it. And, um, and he, we, had a, we had a New Testament discussion with my Old Testament professor. And uh, so anyway... I'll talk to you about that next week, or not two weeks when I do that, so hopefully you come back, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for my friends and our uh, time in the Word. It's, it was hurrisome, and, and I'm just uh, concerned that uh, the, the, the impact of the local church not make a difference. Not that there's any manipulation, but there should be a commitment and conviction that is real. So may the Holy Spirit help each one of us come to that conviction that we can't hide under universalism, universal church work, that we are accountable one to another, as Gina said. And we are working through these things, uh, sanctifying and blessing and working, serving one another, praying for one another, you know, helping one another. And so thank you for this local body in the church. Protect my friends from the evil one, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.